Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. The Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, or ACGME, regulates residency and fellowship training in the United States and recently revised the common program requirements, which describe the minimum standards for all training programs. One of the recent revisions, removing the requirement ensuring protected time for core faculty, would likely have a significant impact on emergency medicine training programs, and so today we are discussing a new paper in July's Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal entitled, Changes to the ACGME Common Program Requirements and Their Potential Impact on Emergency Medicine Core Faculty Protected Time. Lead author, Dr. Sarah Greenberger, is here with us to discuss it. Dr. Greenberger is the Residency Program Director and an Associate Professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, and we are delighted to have her here with us. She's being interviewed today by Dr. Jessica Fujimoto, who at the time of this recording is finishing her medical education fellowship in the Department of Emergency Medicine at UC Fresno. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, open access through the month of August 2020, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Hi, Dr. Greenberger. Thanks for being with us today. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about your recent publication. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this topic? Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me today. I'm happy to talk about this topic. I'm the current residency program director and the medical education fellowship director here at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, and I'm fortunate to be involved with several national emergency medicine organizations. I'm a member of the ASEP Academic Affairs Committee, um, though I should note today that my answers represent my own opinion. I'm not speaking more generally for ASEP or any of the other organizations who contributed to the, our paper. When I became aware of the upcoming changes in the ACGME common program requirements, the loss of required core faculty protected time caused a lot of concern throughout emergency medicine. And at that time, the ASAP Board of Directors asked my committee to write a paper in support of core faculty protected time. I've been in medical education administration for about nine years now, so I really understand firsthand the importance of protected time for core faculty. And some of my academic interests include wellness and burnout, as well as women in medicine. And I've come to learn that protected time is especially important for maintaining diversity in academic emergency medicine. So this really was a topic that I was passionate about. When we decided to approach this, we thought it would be most powerful if all organizations throughout emergency medicine came together and spoke with one voice in response to these changes. And I'm proud that our policy statement and our paper do represent a joint collaboration among all these organizations in emergency medicine who really believe in the importance of this topic. It's neat how sort of all your non-clinical and clinical interests kind of came together um, and were very impacted by this recent change. Yes, yeah, it felt like a perfect fit, um, you know, a, a good mesh of my interests and something that happened to be going on at the time, and I was able to use my expertise to contribute to the paper. 
And so you alluded to this a bit, but can you give us some more background on the ACGME requirements regarding core faculty protected time in emergency medicine? And then um, you talked about the recent changes that kind of led you uh, to look into this. Sure. Um, Previously, the ACGME had allowed specialty review committees to set specific requirements for core faculty of a certain specialty. So, for example, the Emergency Medicine Review Committee had required that emergency medicine core faculty's clinical hours not exceed an average of 28 hours per week or 1,344 hours per year, whichever is less. Back in 2016, the ACGME held a milestone summit and received feedback that these specialty-specific differences in requirements and in the milestones made it difficult for faculty to develop tools and processes that could be used across specialties. So as a result, they sought to harmonize the requirements and the milestones, and part of this effort included a new set of common program requirements that went into effect July 1st, 2019. The new common program requirements defined and listed specific requirements for core faculty, but they no longer allowed the specialty review committees to establish their own requirements for core faculty protected time specifically. And in response, organizations within emergency medicine and family medicine as well um, began to advocate for the review committees to maintain the ability to continue to limit these clinical hours for their core faculty. I could see why that would be such a big problem and such a big change for our specialty. I thought it was interesting that other medical specialties didn't previously have specifically defined protected core faculty time. And I was wondering why this is so important in emergency medicine in particular. I actually believe that the requirements are important generally in graduate medical education and not just in emergency medicine, but it is true that emergency medicine and I believe family medicine as well were two of the the specialties that had these requirements previously. We had heard just in the last few months that other specialties were starting to express interest in adopting similar requirements. But that said, there are some unique aspects of emergency medicine that I believe make core faculty protected time especially essential for us. So emergency medicine generally lacks protected time that's set aside for teaching during our clinical shifts. And we all know that interruptions occur frequently during our clinical shifts. The rate of interruptions in the emergency department is far higher than those in the outpatient setting or on an inpatient floor. And our cognitive load is already so substantial during these shifts that we just have limited ability to add formal education to our existing workload. Another hallmark of our specialty is that our faculty have to supervise and work in the ED 24 seven, 365 days a year. And that includes nights, weekends, holidays, all that resident work is supervised in real time and our clinical shifts are busy. But the didactics in emergency medicine occur in addition to our regular clinical shifts. So these really are additive requirements for faculty. And these extra educational activities during the day can exacerbate sleep deprivation, for example, for those working evening or night shifts. Unlike other specialties, we don't have off-service or on-service months. Instead, in emergency medicine, we generally work continuously throughout the year. And so our workload in academic emergency medicine is defined in total clinical work hours per year. And 100% of those expected clinical hours are usually devoted to direct patient care. 
In other specialties, if physicians can achieve sufficient productivity in fewer clinical hours, they can use their remaining work time for academic activities. So in surgery, for example, if a surgeon can generate all of their clinical productivity in two days a week, they may be able to use the other three work days for education or research. But that just isn't the model that we use in emergency medicine. So unless we receive specific protected time, our contracted work hours are generally our actual clinical hours. I can see how that's so important to our specialty. There are a lot of important differences there. Um, you point out in the paper that the 2019 changes to the ACGME common program requirements were meant to improve faculty and resident wellness, but that it may have actually had the opposite effect in our specialty. And so I was wondering if you could discuss the negative impact these changes are expected to have on physician well-being. This is a topic, I think, of special concern in emergency medicine. As I mentioned before, emergency medicine faculty and residents work all day and all night through weekends and holidays as well. And so it's especially hard for faculty to participate in didactics that occur during the day unless they have reduced clinical responsibilities. We have this tendency in emergency medicine to believe that we're superhuman, but we all know that sleep-deprived faculty are just not well faculty. An increase in clinical work hours due to the loss of protected educational time either means that core faculty will have to work more hours in total, and then the educational work is being added to their now heavier clinical workloads, or the core faculty who are losing protected time will do less educational work, which means that the education leadership, program directors, APDs, who retain but don't gain protected time now, have to assume even more responsibility for educating emergency medicine residents outside of the clinical environment. In addition to increasing the program leadership's workload, this also means that our residents will lose out on the benefits of learning from more faculty with diverse backgrounds and expertise. We also think that this change could lead to burnout. Since core faculty generally choose academics because they enjoy being involved in education, we expect that losing protected time will lead to decreased job satisfaction and burnout. And our specialty already frequently makes the list of those with the highest burnout rate in medicine. So this is a huge issue for us in emergency medicine. I've been out of residency 15 years and have already seen some great colleagues who are terrific educators burn out of academic medicine. And I really believe this just shouldn't be happening. We also think that faculty burnout could feed forward to fuel resident burnout by lowering resident satisfaction with faculty. And overextended, burned-out faculty will just have less time to contribute to efforts that promote resident wellness and decrease resident burnout. But at a fundamental level, adherence to resident work hours has been an emphasis of the ACGME even during COVID. Protected time for core faculty is the only cap on educator faculty work hours. If we really believe that excessive workload for trainees, too many work hours, has deleterious effects on their well-being, their productivity, their patient care, why wouldn't this be true for faculty as well? We need to support faculty well-being in the same way that we do for residents. Yeah, I liked that you addressed how faculty well-being has the potential to impact resident well-being because you're interacting so much, it makes so much sense that that would happen. 
we definitely believe there's an association between faculty burnout and resident burnout as well, and both of those are, are huge problems for us to address in emergency medicine. Especially now, um, that is super important. What other consequences do you anticipate from the loss of core faculty protected time? I would anticipate that the loss of protected time could lead to faculty attrition in academics. We believe that increased burnout stemming from the loss of protected time could also have downstream effects on patient care. So there are studies that have linked burnout to poor physician communication, to excessive testing, or inadequate pain management. We also know that physician burnout is associated with decreased patient satisfaction. And it seems like common sense that burned out or exhausted faculty may not provide optimal supervision and bedside teaching to our residents. So these effects should really be of concern to institutions that are striving to provide high quality patient care. We're concerned as well that the loss of protected time may directly impact the quality of education that residents receive. Emergency medicine has been a standout in innovation in medical education. But innovation requires time to experiment and develop new curricular methods or new feedback tools, and this is time that core faculty may not have anymore. Emergency medicine requires that we cover such a breadth of knowledge and skills with our trainees. That's the core nature of our field. Rare procedures in particular are part of the key skill set of the emergency physician. But these skills are often taught solely outside of the clinical environments precisely because opportunities to perform them in the clinical environment are so rare. So imagine residents graduating from emergency medicine residencies who have never performed simulated crikes or simulated pericardiocentesis just because there are no faculty to lead some training anymore. Disaster management shouldn't only be learned during actual disasters. Ultrasound is practically an entirely new discipline that's been added on to our core emergency medicine knowledge. And to develop proficiency in this area, residents rely on hours of hands-on training with ultrasound faculty. But these faculty may now lose their time that was earmarked for resident education. Ultimately, if there is no enforced time for education, we worry that institutions may prioritize activities that generate clinical revenue, which will leave only bare-bones educational curricula remaining. And this could have serious implications for the quality of emergency medicine residency graduates and ultimately for patient care as well. Yeah, so you mentioned that faculty who are paid for their clinical productivity may view educational activities as like pro bono work. Um, and so I was wondering if there are ways or other ways in which institutions can encourage faculty engagement in education. Absolutely. Institutions can be explicit and they can be intentional about the value they place on educational effort. They can define expected educational contributions for all of their faculty, and then they can track these contributions through an educational value unit, the EVU system that's been described previously in the literature. These EVUs then can be tied to compensation in the same way that clinical productivity is commonly linked to faculty compensation. Departments could also seek out novel sources of revenue. So for example, COVID offers a myriad of new clinical opportunities in telemedicine or in digital health. 
departments could seek out community grants or they could develop agreements to provide um, education for other learners in the institution in exchange for funding. And then they can use this additional revenue to either directly fund protected time or they can use this money to fund hiring of additional clinical faculty, which would allow sufficient clinical coverage even with protected educational time for others. Departments can also offer non-salary support to core faculty, and they can use this to facilitate work-life integration. They can support core faculty by offering control over clinical schedules so that educators can align their clinical workload with educational commitments like didactics or CCC meetings, faculty development training sessions. All of these efforts make it easier for faculty to engage in educational activities. It sounds like even with the changes, there are things that institutions can do to help encourage faculty engagement, but that, but that ultimately protected core faculty time would be ideal. Yes, we believe that core faculty protected time should still be required, and even in the absence of the ACGME requirements, that departments should continue to offer this to core faculty because of the importance of this time. What other recommendations does your policy statement make regarding core faculty work hour limitations? At its core, our policy statement and our paper recommend that departments continue to adhere to the former ACGME cap on clinical hours for core faculty. So departments should not allow core faculty's clinical hours to exceed an average of 28 hours per week or 1,344 hours per year, whichever is less. And then... I'm actually really excited we get to talk right now because there have been some even more recent changes um, given the COVID-19 pandemic. So I saw that the ACGME Board of Directors decided to defer implementation of the proposed protected time for core faculty. And so I was wondering what impact you think this will have um, on emergency medicine education. Of course, our paper was written prior to the COVID pandemic, and COVID has certainly changed the landscape for all of us. So we're not blind to the disruptions and especially the funding concerns that COVID now poses to institutions. We've recently become aware of the ACGME's decision to defer um, implementation of this as well. But I would argue that if anything, COVID has highlighted how essential it is that we continue to ensure adequate time for education outside of the clinical environment. I'd argue it also highlights the need for continued faculty innovation in our methods of medical education and the importance of practices that reduce burnout and support both resident and faculty well-being. I would believe that core faculty protected time is no less important now than it was when we submitted our manuscript about 10 months ago. Without the ACGME mandate and requirement, I do worry that core faculty protected time may disappear, and I think our residents and our future patients may suffer for that. So I'm hopeful that the ACGME will recognize the importance of core faculty protected time and that this requirement will be reinstated in our emergency medicine program requirements soon, if not in other specialties requirements as well. Yeah, it's again really exciting that we got to talk to you now because this topic has become even more timely um, now than when you wrote it or when it was published. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today. It was really nice to talk to you. Thank you. It was great to speak with you as well.
Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Be sure to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to all our AEM podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.